The following is an excerpt from Jerry Bridges' book called The Practice of Godliness, Chapter 2, Devotion to God. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Revelation chapter 15, verse 4. The practice of godliness is first of all the cultivation of a relationship with God, and from this cultivation of life that is pleasing to God. Our concept of God and our relationship with Him determine our conduct. We have already seen that devotion to God consists of three essential elements, the fear of God, the love of God, and the desire for God. Think of a triangle representing devotion to God with these three elements as each of its three points. The fear of God and the love of God form the base of the triangle, while the desire for God is at the apex, or at the top. As we study these elements individually, we will see that the fear of God and the love of God form the foundation of true devotion to God, while the desire for God is the highest expression of that devotion. The late professor John Murray said, The fear of God is the soul of godliness. Yet the fear of God is a concept that seems old-fashioned and antiquated to many modern-day Christians. There was a time when an earnest believer might have been known as a God-fearing man. Today, we would probably be embarrassed by such language. Some seem to think the fear of God is strictly an Old Testament concept that passed away with the revelation of God's love in Christ. After all, doesn't perfect love drive out fear? As John declares in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, Although it is true that the concept of the fear of God is treated more extensively in the Old Testament, it would be a mistake to assume that it is not important in the New Testament. One of the blessings of the New Covenant is the implanting in believers' hearts of the fear of the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 32, God said, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me, so that they will never turn away from me. Nothing could be more significant, observed John Murray, than that the fear of the Lord should be coupled with the comfort of the Holy Spirit 
as the characteristics of the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 9, So the church, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, was multiplied. Isaiah said, He will delight in the fear of the Lord. Chapter 11 If Jesus in his humanity delighted in the fear of God, surely we need to give serious thought to cultivating this attitude in our lives. The Bible uses the term fear of God in two distinct ways, that of anxious dread and that of veneration, reverence, and awe. Fear as anxious dread is produced by the realization of God's impending judgment upon sin. For the child of God, however, the primary meaning of the fear of God is veneration and honor, reverence and awe. It is the attitude that elicits from our hearts adoration and love, reverence and honor. It focuses not upon the wrath of God, but upon the majesty, holiness, and transcendent glory of God. It is impossible to be devoted to God if one's heart is not filled with the fear of God. It is the profound sense of veneration and honor, reverence and awe, that draws forth from our hearts the worship and adoration that characterizes true devotion to God. The reverent, godly Christian sees God first in his transcendent glory, majesty, and holiness before he sees him in his love, mercy, and grace. There is a healthy tension that exists in the godly person's heart between the reverential awe of God in his glory and the childlike confidence in God as Heavenly Father. One of the more serious sins of Christians today may well be the almost flippant familiarity with which we often address God in prayer. None of the godly men of the Bible ever adopted the casual manner we often do. They always addressed God with reverence. The same writer who tells us that we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the throne room of God, also tells us that we should worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. In Hebrews chapter 10, For our God is a consuming fire. The same Paul who tells us that the Holy Spirit dwelling within us causes us to cry, Abba, or Father, also tells us that this same God lives in unapproachable light. In Romans 8, 
and 1 Timothy chapter 6. In our day, we must begin to recover a sense of awe and profound reverence for God. We must begin to view Him once again in the infinite majesty that alone belongs to Him who is the Creator and Supreme Ruler of the entire universe. One day we will see God face to face, and then we will fear Him in the fullest sense of that word. No wonder, then, that with that day in view, Peter tells us to live holy and godly lives now. God is in the process of preparing us for heaven, to dwell with him for eternity. So he desires that we grow in both holiness and godliness. He wants us to be like him and reverence and adore him for all eternity. We must be learning to do this now. In our day, we seem to have magnified the love of God almost to the exclusion of the fear of God. We should magnify the love of God, but although we revel in His love and mercy, we must never lose sight of His majesty and His holiness. Not only will a right concept of the fear of God cause us to worship Him aright, it will also regulate our conduct. If we have some comprehension of God's infinite holiness and His hatred of sin, coupled with this pervasive sense of God's presence in all our actions and even our thoughts, then such a fear of God must influence and regulate our conduct. Just as obedience to the Lord is an indication of our love for Him, so is it also a proof of our fear of God. You shall fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 6 God reminds the people of Israel that their obedience to His laws and regulations is to flow out of a reverence and fear of Him. The fear of God should provide a primary motivation for, as well as result in, obedience to Him. If we truly reverence God, we will obey Him, since every act of disobedience is an affront to His dignity and majesty. Only the God-fearing Christian can truly accept and appreciate the love of God. God's love for us is many-faceted, but He supremely demonstrated it by sending His Son to die for our sins. As 1 John chapter 4 says, God is love. 
he explains this statement by saying, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The New International Version of the Bible gives as a marginal rendering for atoning sacrifice the phrase as the one who would turn aside his wrath, taking away our sins. The truly godly person never forgets that he was at one time an object of God's holy and just wrath. He never forgets that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he feels, along with Paul, that he is himself the worst of sinners. But then, as he looks to the cross, he sees that Jesus was his atoning sacrifice. He sees that Jesus bore his sins in his own body, and that the wrath of God, the wrath that he, a sinner, should have borne, was expended completely and totally upon the Holy Son of God. And in this view of Calvary, he sees the love of God. Jesus did not die just to give us peace and a purpose in life. He died to save us from the wrath of God. He died to reconcile us to a holy God who was alienated from us because of our sin. He died to ransom us from the penalty of sin, the punishment of everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord. He died that we, the just objects of God's wrath, should become, by His grace, heirs of God and co-heirs with Him. How much we appreciate God's love is conditioned by how deeply we fear Him. But it is also true that the deeper our perception of God's love to us in Christ, the more profound and reverence and awe of Him. In Psalm 130, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. He worshipped God with reverence and awe because of his forgiveness. In our practice of godliness, we must seek to grow both in fear of God and in ever-increasing comprehension of the love of God. These two elements together form the foundation of our devotion to God.